Hello and welcome to another episode of Corks Talks where I talk about anything and everything of interest to me, whether that be political, economic, social, technological, legal, environmental, you name it, I'll speak about it. And today's episode is actually a general episode and it's related to what I would call the economy of blackness. Um, I feel like I've been in this deep trance trying to really establish what it means to be a diaspora and what it means to be the child of immigrants, what it means to create a legacy for oneself. And um, in thinking of these things, I've been thinking a lot about economy and the economy in the sense of how institutions and state apparatus interlink um because i'm somebody that attends many um arts and cultural events you know your galleries your theaters your cinema like wherever i can find a story or dose of something i'm interested in i'm swiping my card i won't think twice i've got like three or four um theater um trips booked up for the rest of this month and I won't, I won't ever stop. Like, whilst I can do it, I'll always do it because I just feel like you have to have something to look forward to. And these stories are exceptional in the sense that they are often about the very understated people in our society, the marginalised, the underrepresented, the um, oppressed. And making it my mission to enlighten myself to their stories helps me build empathy, helps me build knowing, help me helps me build awareness. And of course, in a very multicultural city like London, those connections, those links, only like only broaden my mind and horizon. I don't even see it as a tool to like, you know, become an effective networker or be everybody's best friend or know all of these different things. I just like the idea of being aware of what's going on around me, never wanting to be naive, even though it's easier, never wanting to be ignorant, even though it's easier. And I've been thinking quite a lot about um, the fact that when we are in spaces that are unfamiliar to us, we either assimilate to become like those other people so that we are familiar to them, or we say we don't belong here and try to create our own spaces. And, um, I've been thinking about some of the Black British actors I grew up with, and there weren't that many, unfortunately, um, and how many of them went stateside. I think of, you know, your your Idris Elbers, your David Oyelowo's, your Chiwetel Ejiofor's, fantastic, phenomenal actors that mostly got their break in the USA. I think to myself that a lot of Black British actors are, like, relegated to these tiny roles on soaps or recurring regular roles on soaps and if they're lucky they might get a central storyline but it's a mini series so you know it's either streamed and then forgotten about and not like some long-standing show like Emmerdale or EastEnders or their role is not central it's a supporting one and um when I look at the success of individuals like Lashana Lynch or like Sheila Atim, or of course your eponymous Michaela Cole and um, Letitia Wright, I say to myself, like, 
the success in these women, black British women, is like second to none. It's the things that I think women 10, 20, 30 years ago who wanted to be actors and who were black British could only dream of, right? And then, of course, you're thinking of, of your male equivalent. You've got your John Boyegas, your Daniel Kaluuyas, your Damson Idrises, your Tossin Coles, and they were following in the footsteps of um, what we would see as the eponymous three, the Idris, the Chiwetel, the David, or Yolowo. But um, when I'm thinking about the economy of blackness, you know, it always goes back to being behind the scenes. And I guess because I'm familiar with creative media now, um, I I understand that these things, of course, are not simplistic. They're nothing like what is presented. Um, there's a lot of mechanics that go into script writing and deciding who should be on stage. Um, what I've experienced so far is that there are quite a lot of stories that, in theatre, introduce colourblind casting. So they essentially bring a black character in, bring a mixed race character in, an Asian character in, and they will be part of a family structure that is like mostly white, but it doesn't matter because it's a colourblind cast, so nobody really cares. But I'm noticing, like, even when I watched Frozen, there was, like, a, a black girl who played Elsa as a child. And, like, when I went to watch Hex, um, the love interest, Bert, Prince Bert, he was black. And then even the princess's dad was black. And even the dolls that they were using, one was black, one was white. And it's like, I want to see more black people in theatre um, in particular, not because they can't necessarily find the TV um, role, but because it it strengthens your ability as an actor, I think, um, to be on stage in front of people and really engage. But also, I want to be um, more receptive to stories that are told by black people, for black people, in the sense that there's an intuition when you're watching it where someone doesn't have to explain a piece of dialogue or mannerism or demeanour. And then I saw that when I went to Almeida Theatre and I watched The Clinic. That was a really exceptional show, theatre show. There aren't many stories that I see where there's an actual black family um, at all. I, I, it's just not something I see. And that was very refreshing. And I feel like black theatre... Um, isn't as showcased perhaps because we all have a love for the cinema we all have a reverence for big Hollywood screens and I'm a big fan of like British crime thrillers I tell everybody like I think British crime thrillers are the most clever um interpolation of stories um not necessarily being like a traditional political drama like you know your house of cards or your or um like your your social drama like Ozark, you know, sometimes they can be quite heavy in terms of um, speaks uh, speak speaking of things themes related to like the economy or policy. But British crime has a way of marrying up really genuine um, themes, usually under the umbrella of scandal, to um, illustrate like very interesting human traits or human characteristics like it will be um a man who's in um parliament who has a double life but not in the way you expect it and 
his double life is not even necessarily the centre of the story. The centre of the story will be something completely perpendicular. Like his wife's um, communication with a certain business, right? Maybe she's, I don't know, the daughter of some business magnate. And you'll think that that storyline is ancillary to the side. And then suddenly it creeps into the fore and it becomes central. And you're like, oh my God, that was something that was so unsuspecting that ended up leaking into the, the middle. And, and lots of British stories do that very well on screen. And then likewise, when I watch theatre and obviously I see the musicality and the production, the lighting, the costume, the change in tone and voice, the, the intervals. And you're like, this is so clever. How do people even theorise these kind of things? And you find that the storylines are quite similar in the sense that I feel like so much of what we see on screen in British TV and film is very much related to what was on the stage in theatre. It follows a similar structure which I really enjoy, and I don't get that same impression from America, not to say that they didn't do that, but the Hollywood glitz and glam, the story writing is very flat sometimes, it doesn't feel very layered, it doesn't feel like there is a hierarchy when it comes to the story, which is like multiple subplots or whatever, it feels like um, a bunch of characters who are put into one film to feed one kind of overarching storyline, whereas Brits, I feel like, are quite okay with having multiple storylines, which complexifies things, which I enjoy. I don't know whether I'm I'm articulating it correctly, but um, I'm just really excited to see, like, the likes of, you know, your David Johnsons, your Vivian Aparas, your your store um your actors and your actors and actresses who have always been as much present as any other actor and actress, but because like I said, we don't see them on screen, we don't think they're doing that much. And I worry that the lack of support for black theatre, and even if it's not necessarily like an entirely black story, but even if it's like um, a generic um, production and it just so happens to have a black character or two in it, that is substantial. What I've found is that even in my search for like regular, let's say, quote unquote, white British shows, there is a black actor somewhere. There is a black actress somewhere, but it's not presented like that because they're not central to the storyline or they are, but they're not a protagonist. So it's not a black story. Do you get what I mean? Like, I want to see black characters play a multitude of roles. And I feel like I get that more ironically in theatre than I do on in TV, um, particularly in relation to black Brits, because, like I said, the quote-unquote colourblind casting of theatre means that they're playing roles that aren't necessarily linked to their race. They're just playing stories. They're just doing that and not, like, having to shoehorn um and I hate that idea of like race being an added factor but sometimes when I I watch a movie or I watch a series and suddenly an episode is a storyline about race I'm like oh like this that's not how race works race is like a suffusion it's always there it doesn't um 
just rear its head for a 40 minute episode and then disappear again into the other stories that you've got to almost be consistent um when i watched that series another mini series by a uh, dolly alderton um what was it called well i think it was everything i know about love or it was like on love life and friendship it was her bbc show she um had a character in there who was black and i don't know whether that was actually it was called everything i know about love i don't know whether that was actually in the book i haven't read it whatever but there was like a particular episode where she confronts the other girls for like not being aware of the fact that her race has impacted her ability to really succeed in um dancing as an industry and it was a concern for me because again it was that let's dedicate a whole episode not even the whole episode because it wasn't the whole episode but let's make this admission at this boiling point in this story and let it be known we've confronted race in an uncomfortable manner but then move back into the protagonist story which is like untouched by race and you're like okay that's fair enough you know but it would be more truthful to like suffuse the entire experience of this character and not have it be like um central to our storyline but there was there's a way of um let's say breadcrumbing um how race impacts people you know whether it's someone going to the kitchen right in a workspace and taking out food from the fridge and then a colleague saying oh what's that and then her saying offhandedly oh it's jollof rice and chicken and it's like oh okay so you've put something in there that is significant but it's not made a big deal of unless it's part of the storyline, if you get what I mean. Like, you want it to just be authentic. You want it to be, like, the black girl who goes to work and does whatever and the things that she deals with and not have that necessarily be the entire storyline, but part of her characterization. you know, just to show the introduction of her race being a part of her personality. And, um... Now, of course, when you're in theatre, you don't really get those kind of overtures of of race because you're not getting a meal being pulled out from a microwave the theatrics are imaginary you know you've got to pretend that this individual is not on a stage in front of you and is is instead in a forest or a house or new build or um a mountain and i like that that imagination is there because it's the space that you inhabit to really say to yourself there's a possibility for black characters in any respect to like do anything like to be anyone like whether it be your superhero whether it be your um um f- a fantasy uh character whatever it is if your mind can conceive it then it ought to be true i think the problem with a lot of um just regular films and, and series you know like non-animated stuff is that there's a limit to how much or how far a black story can go, mainly because they are, you know, real life. Then there's no superheroes, there's no spells, there's no there's no animation whereby you can make this character fly or, or, or an animal talk or whatever. Like there is a suspension of reality when you do have, I guess, um, technology to make this black character larger than they are, and. That's something that I even have to address when I'm, like, writing. It's, like, how fantastical can can I go? 
in the sense that I'm not a fantasy writer, you know, but I sometimes like stories like Eloisa Oshunde when she wrote Vagabonds. There were themes in there that were what I would call like fantasy, like, but not fantasy in the traditional sense of, um, of the white imagination, which is like. which is like people who have powers and they do it to save the world. And that wasn't Eloisa's focus. She just created characters who may or may not have some kind of power that may not be considered human, but she didn't necessarily clarify that that power was something to use for some moral good. Um, It wasn't, It wasn't a construct of morality. It was a construct of of almost humanity, you know, because she speaks about themes of like queerness and, and transness, and the way she established those stories was it felt fantastical. And I don't know whether that was her intention, but whenever you play with black stories, you know, the idea that you know we have like myth, we have folklore, we have African religions and they're not like seen as legitimate. So anytime you delve into that, it's seen as some sort of, as you know, black magic. And she wasn't afraid to go into that, but it contributed to the story in a way that every one of those characters that she created were enriched by like the power of the city of Lagos, like, it being a character in and of itself, not being this um, city, metropolitan, that everyone is so orderly in. She was embracing of the chaos that happens in these capital cities, that happens across the world, but isn't illustrated like that like I would love to see a story about London being this fantastical majestic magic place that people from all walks of life endure and have very many different types of um realities in because different types of realities are are their own fantasy aren't they you know you've got the influencer who lives across the street from you he's making god knows how much money whilst you're going into your nine to five is that not this whole fantasy story that we don't seem to address? Because there's this line between fantasy and realism that we, sh- we it's not that we struggle to bridge, but I'm always curious about how far can you push realism? How par- far can you push fantasy until it just becomes a cop-out, you know, until, oh, it's gone too far, that character has a mental illness, or it's gone too far, this story's now out of touch. Like how far do we push it i wonder i'm i'm always curious about that but um in that space where i'm like embrace these new stories keep going to these events keep learning more um because what i'm seeing is that i'm getting a sense of plot in my head um for what i'm writing which is very sporadic and i'm so i'm not even I haven't even tried to commit to my New Year's resolution, which I'm really disappointed in. But after tomorrow, because I have a presentation 
tomorrow after tomorrow I should be back on track and just getting some consistency and I'm really thinking about what ideas do I want to represent how am I going to do that where am I going to go what is my point where is the end you know um and I think black theatre is definitely going to help me continue to establish that I've got to do my own research and writing you know I've been listening to Finding Me which is Viola Davis's autobiography and I've really enjoyed it because she is not apologetic whatsoever of her experiences being traumatic and her willingness to accept that trauma in a way that I think a lot of people don't come to terms with. And I'm not sure whether it's because of age or like expert therapy because we know she's got money. But I think it's more to the fact of she's very expressive about the fact her father was like very unapologetically abusive to the point where she expresses that like he was she was sure he was going to kill her mother but then she doesn't mince her words in stressing how much she loved her father like there's an ownership that we don't see I think in a lot of um our generation whereby it's like someone has done wrong um I'm gonna pretend like that's a deal breaker for me and I'm no longer going to be around them and in reality that is not how care works for a lot of people that is not how love works for a lot of people they are very keen to present the moral high ground but she is able to own her life in a very astounding way to be able to say she loves someone unequivocally even though they abuse someone that she really really loved there's an honor in that in in not making excuses for that and not trying to justify why it's right I feel like that's an overtone in a lot of people's stories nowadays whereby they're like I have to prove why this is the correct decision like you don't need to put the whole point of these stories is about hypocrisy you don't need to put a disclaimer in like what should happen is that people should deduce when they read these stories what they would do in that position like your story has its refractions. It does. It shouldn't be one, one glaze, one, one, one clear view. There should be colours. There should be cracks. There should be refractions. There should be reflections. There should be warping. It shouldn't be these cookie cutter, clean characters and storylines. And I guess that's the beauty and the mess of autobiography because it is your story and you know you're not perfect. But it's easy to make a character perfect. Like, I used to have an issue where my men on writing stories, I was like, oh, I don't want this to have, happy, have a happy ending. It would ruin it. And then I felt bad, like, why can't I write a happy story? Why can't I write a happy ending? You know, I should be able to. But going back on that thought, I think to myself, there are realities wherein people don't have happy endings. And we don't have to present that as antithetical to... Um, black life we can say to ourselves yes this person had a bad life and this is still a a good story worth knowing and it's valuable in some sense the same way a story of redemption or overcoming is still valuable we need to stop using these very simplistic conclusions to say oh yeah that story is done I'm not going to engage in it because there's no learning there's no growth 
um, there's just a flat line. Yeah, yeah, because some people in life don't grow. Some people in life are flat line. Like I was watching Love Love is Blind Brazil earlier today because I saw like a clip of it on Twitter the other um, day. And I was like, oh, yeah, it looks interesting. And it's a black Brazilian couple. And um, they bond over like their shared interest in like um, the Umbanda, which is an Afro-Brazilian religion. And I think it's there was another um, one that is inspired by the Yoruba people, um, Candomblé. And of course, Love is Blind is that they're, they're in a room and they can't see one another. So it was quite significant because there was this immediate jo- conjoining of, oh, we both have the same ancestral religion, which is based in our community. So we are likely of the same race. You know, that was the idea. That was the conclusion. But I find myself in these kind of reality shows really hesitant, really hesitant to engage because I know that there's going to be some level of manipulation, deceit, heartbreak, sadness that's going to come up. And I feel like we deal with this in day-to-day life enough. I don't get any joy or pleasure from, like, watching people on screen get that. It always, like, makes me very reactive and sensitive to the point where, like, I feel like shading food is becoming so common in our society. And it's terrifying that we don't nip it in the bud and say, you know, these, this is not entertainment. Like, women getting hurt um, by each other, by um, men in particular, when it comes to those romantic reality shows, it's not funny it's not interesting I don't want to engage in it it's the reason why I don't even want to like watch Love Island I'm not I'm not interested obviously it's something that because it's um, a group kind of um task now to like be engaged in Love Island because everyone watches it and it's a way to bond with you know colleagues and strangers but I worry how invested we are in other people's storylines being negative and I say that as someone who's like she thinks that there's not much meaning to life. Like, I am not the most positive person in the world. I truly don't want to spend my time watching these stories of, like, so much realism that I'm getting almost triggered. Like, oh, so everyone deals with this. And I don't extract any joy from knowing that other people are also in pain, you know? Um... I'm of that age where I'm like, I want to imagine things beyond my reality. I want to see what else I can achieve and get to. But um, I'm not even worried about myself per se. I'm worried about other people capping themselves in terms of their career, in terms of their thoughts and, and feelings for things. I want like people to widen their remit. And even with my own career, I say to myself, I want to be a multi-hyphenate. I don't want to be someone who only does one thing. I will go to galleries and and events and exhibitions every day for the rest of my life if I can if it means um really imbuing myself with all the stories and all the characterizations I can get um to either inspire me to be better or to inspire me to create characters that are better interesting are worth paying attention to because they're out there. They're definitely out there. We have an issue in Britain, I guess, with the whole marketing oneself because we're afraid to seem um, like we're bragging or it's just, you know, humility is a major thing in Britain. You can't be excited about yourself. You can't gas yourself up. Um, a lot of the black Brit guys that are doing well for themselves don't really use social media. Um, and it's all understandable because there's this idea that these spaces cause trouble, these spaces are not good for you, 
um, these spaces distract. Whereas the American guys tend to be quite um, rambunctious and confident and proud and sharing um, of themselves because you know, what is there to lose type thing. I think a lot of Brits live under the cloak that someone is just going to pull the rug from underneath their feet and they're going to be ruined, destroyed. And um, it's a genuine worry. I feel like a lot of people have that, especially when you're coming from areas that aren't super duper, um, what do you call it? Um, aren't super duper rich, but and 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 the rich lot can hide their their um, their, their 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 misdeeds in a way that. A lot of us cannot, you know. So this is just a bit of a ramble on like the black theatre, arts and culture space. I haven't really gone too much into the whole exhibitions because I feel like that's a whole thickening in and of itself. But I will go into that soon enough because those storylines are worthy as well. And by the way, also like hearing about Viola Davis talking about how she started off in theatre. I think it's important like there's a real um heritage in being on stage that for like a lot of black actors um beyond obviously learning and studying in the classroom and drama but to actually be able to be on the stage in front of a live audience it would be nice to see more do that um I feel like there's a lot of scope there's a lot of growth there's a lot of energy in there and I'm just looking forward to it so yeah this is my episode on black theatre and I shall and black acting, and I shall um, make another episode soon with my next review in uh, shortly. So yeah, thank you for listening. Goodbye and take care.